First-time homebuyers Jacob and his partner had been renting in the very expensive D.C. area for nine months. When they moved in, they had just gotten there after rents had already increased 60% in their building. So they were already paying that premium. Well, after living there for nine months, they discovered their rents were going to be going up again in three months, another 30%. So that means that they were looking to avoid that 90% increase over the last 12 months. So thankfully, they had started to plan to buy a home. Let's hear their story. Welcome in, everybody. This is one of your favorite episodes because we get to hear from a real-life person, not just me rambling at you. I'm very excited today. We've got Jacob, who's in from Denver. That's right? Yep, that's correct. Awesome. So, well, everybody wants to know, what's your story, man? First-time home buyer. when did you close on your property? Yeah, we closed back in mid-May, so it's been about two months, and moved in in early June. So I've been in the place for about six weeks now, still getting settled, and some projects to do, but nothing major. So starting to feel like this is home. All right, tell us when you started your journey. Like, when did you start thinking about, oh, you know, everybody has a reason or an impetus. Was there something that got you started and got you thinking about it, and when was it, how long did it take you to get here? Yeah, for sure. So my wife and I actually lived in uh, D.C. We lived there for about six years. And when the pandemic hit, we started thinking, I think like a lot of people, about just like what our future looked like. And, you know, if D.C. was the place for us and Denver is a very expensive market, but D.C. is way more expensive than Denver. And so part of the reason we decided to make the move out west was because we could actually afford to buy something, at least in the short term, as opposed to waiting, you know, a bit of a longer time to be able to purchase something in DC. So that was part of the impetus to move out to Denver. And once we got out here and got the lay of the land a little bit, we rented for about nine months while we kind of checked out neighborhoods and things like that, and then got a little bit more serious about it at that point. So yeah, just started doing some research online, found your podcast. I've also listened to a lot of Dave Ramsey in my time. And so I reached out to his like endorsed local provider system and reached out to you to try and get hooked up with a realtor and kind of used those two sources to meet a couple different realtors and interview those realtors and ended up going with the unicorn that you recommended, which was super helpful. And she was amazing. And we couldn't have done it without both of you guys. So really appreciate it. That's great. Okay. So super cool. So, you know, I always tell people, love to hear the unicorn success stories. That's great. But I also want to make sure to let everybody know you can interview, talk to as many people as you like to. Now, you guys moved out. So you said it was about a nine month process. So you moved with the idea in mind. So were you doing, besides interviewing the realtors, you know, whether it was like through Dave or through unicorn or whatever, when did you start your financial plan? Was it while you were still in DC or when you guys made the move? Yeah, definitely. We started back three or four years ago, just saving up for a down payment while we were living in DC. And thankfully, we were able to put a little less down in Denver than we would have had to in DC. So that kind of sped up the process a bit, making the move to, you know, Denver's still not a cheap area, but a cheaper area than where we were. So that helped. That's cool. Now, how did you guys do? A lot of people always ask me about employment. How did you guys do? Did you keep the same jobs when you moved to Denver or did you get 
new jobs, but it, you were still okay to apply for your loan? We got new jobs, but they were both still in the same industry, essentially. So we both work in marketing. And so we got new jobs in marketing. And I, at least from what we were told, it seems like that was helpful to not mess up with our loan approval at all by you know switching to a completely different field, essentially. Yeah, the rule of thumb, which, you know, as I say on the podcast a lot, I'm not really a fan of because everyone's situation is going to be different. But the rule of thumb is that's the phrase they use if it's in the same industry. But really what it's trying to do is like if you've been working in a corporate job for 15 years and then you start your own business making, you know, jelly, that's where they're looking at. If you, yep. if you pretty much stay in the same genre, even a lot of times they're going to be able to count to two years. You don't have to start all over again. So that makes sense. Um, did you guys look at different down payment options or were you just trying to get in as quick as you can and go with the lowest payment you could? We did. Yeah, we actually. So once we got set up with our uh, unicorn realtor, she helped us get set up with a mortgage broker as well. And Great. so that was really helpful because she helped us shop around loans and we didn't have to do that work ourselves. I'm sure, you know, we probably could have saved some money and done that. But to be honest, it was kind of nice to have that piece of the process you know, not <laughs> on our plate, since there is just a lot in the process that we're not experts at, and you need people that you trust that can be those experts for you. So yeah, we ended up putting down 20%, which was really good, but we could have gone lower, but we ended up going with 20% just to have a lower monthly payment and avoid that PMI. So. And how are you feeling? Were you ready for a change in your monthly payment? Did you prepare for that? Is it more than your rent? Is it similar to your rent? Were you prepping for this back in DC? Yeah, yeah. So we knew we wanted to stick within like 25% or so of our monthly earnings to keep our mortgage rate or mortgage payment down under that. So thankfully, we were able to essentially stay flat from what we were paying for our rent to our mortgage. It's actually even a little less expensive than what we were paying for rent. And when we moved out of our apartment, they increased that rent by like 30%. So three months from then, we would have been paying more than we are for our mortgage right now. Okay, so you're a marketing guy. So what I like to call that last 20 seconds is what we call a soundbite. Would you, for the love of God, please say that again? Your rent is the same or your mortgage is the same as your rent? Yep, okay. exactly. And your rent immediately spiked after you moved out. Yeah. And they were going to increase it 30%. And we were only living in that place for nine months and they increased it like 60% from the people before us too. So rents are just, you know, skyrocketing in Denver and, and I know a lot of major metros in general. So this was Whoa. a good way for us to try and avoid inflation as much as we could and, and lock in that monthly payment. So so that's insane. 90% increase over the last 18 months or whatever. <laughs> They've just done that for two years. That, exactly. You know, I keep hearing it and it's so funny. I'm seeing all these different people online and, and I get it. There's a generation that feels like they're being crushed and, you know, they're like, oh, okay, boomer. Easy to save 20% <laughs> down in 1977 when the house cost $16. And I'm like, yeah. actually, if you do the math on the inflation, the price of the house is still the same today based on wages being increased. But that's a whole nother story. But the key <laughs> is this inflation right now. Being able to have one payment that you know isn't going to change, you know, I mean, because exactly. gas and groceries and everything else, we're recording this in July and the numbers just came out that we hit 9%, man. That's, uh -huh. 
and you did go with a 30-year fixed, yes? We did, yes. And thankfully, we locked it in, like I said, about two months ago. So, you know, our interest rate wasn't in the threes or twos like it could have been a year or two ago. But we still, I mean, it's gone up another 1% probably since we locked it in. So, who knows, 10 years, five years from now, maybe they'll come back down and we can refinance and get a lower rate then. So, who knows? That's what I keep telling everyone right now is I understand that, you know, but if prices continue to go up, you could always refinance your loan. So waiting for the loan rate isn't the best move for people. So we got all the finances, we got all the timing, we understand all that. Tell us about the process. What were the things that surprised you? What were the things that maybe you were excited that you were ready for and you tackled well? What happened? Yeah, for sure. I think one of the surprising things when I first started listening to your podcast was learning about the appraisal gap and having to have that extra money in case the appraisal didn't come in where you wanted it to. And so that freaked us out a little bit, to be honest. But I think that's just a because the market was pretty crazy when we were buying. And I know maybe now it's settling a little bit in certain areas. And so people don't have to worry about that as much. But we ended up getting really lucky and the company actually waived our appraisal. So it ended up not even being an issue at all, which was really nice. So but yeah, the process overall, I mean, we wanted to take our time and make sure that especially we were finding the right realtor because we know that, you know, we're not experts in real estate and we need to have someone that is and that we can trust. And so we really took our time with those interviews and talking to realtors like multiple times to make sure that, you know, this was a person that we were going to feel comfortable with a lot of the life savings that we <laughs> had put down for the last five or six years of saving. So... Were there any specifics that put everyone over the top for you or was it just like you said, the comfort level? Yeah, the comfort level was big. There was definitely one person that we talked to that you could tell was kind of at the bottom of the you know, rung of the people in her office that was kind of taking on first time home buyers. And I know you had kind of warned us of that in some of your podcasts. And so mm -hmm. that was really helpful. But the realtor we ended up going with had like 30 years of experience and knew the market really well. And, and she actually ended up knowing the realtor on the seller's side, which helped us get the deal done. And we only had to put in one offer on one house, which I know a lot of people have been saying, you know, five, 10 offers. And I think you prepared us for a lot of the levers that we might have to pull to make our offer stand out. And so kind of knowing those things, like having to give potentially a bonus to and you know make sure that the seller would act quickly and take our offer. We ended up going that route and putting down some non-refundable earnest money and things like that really helped our offer stand out and make it a, a one and done situation as opposed to having to play it out for months on end, putting in offer after offer. So. Wow, that's cool. You know, I can get into the minutia all day long because when you're doing it with the buyers and when I'm hearing from the buyers, there are games that you play. And when the market was moving so fast, if a house is on the home on the market on Monday, we would put time restraints and try to get people to give us an answer by Friday before the open house on the weekend. Yeah. You know, it obviously has to be attractive enough for them to want to do it. But there are all those little pieces and those little games that you have to play when you're in the bidding war, but obviously you guys had, I mean, that's amazing that I know no one likes to hear it, but hopefully it's changing. But, you know, my average was five or six offers and I wrote the book on this, you know, before yeah. we got an acceptance, just because the whole amount of competition was overwhelming. So yeah. how much time did you guys spend looking at houses on your own so that when you walked into this place, you knew that was it? Did you guys do a lot of internet research and stuff before? 
Definitely. Yeah. And probably maybe too much, to be honest. I think we were looking, you know, on like the Zillows and Redfins a year or two before we actually got serious about the process. And I'd actually recommend not doing that because prices moved so much in that year or two that we had, you know, the type of home in our mind that we thought we were going to be able to afford. And we were way priced out of those types of homes. But thankfully, we had been keeping up with things like via your podcast and just other reports online about where prices were going. And we were able to kind of come back and mentally prepare for not being able to, you know, have that super huge single family home in in the Denver metro area that would be multi-million dollar homes. So, you know, I think looking online is great, but also I would maybe caution to not get your hopes up by doing that too early in the game. So I like that a lot. I really like, and you know what I can do? I can frame that in a way because I want people to understand that the emotional stuff is good to keep you excited and keep you motivated. Just stop looking at list prices and look at sold prices um, and look at sold prices in the last month or two, not eight months ago. That's what will confuse you. But the other thing too is the like understanding the appraisal gap. I like people to be prepared, but you can be over-prepared if you're just thinking about the emotional stuff, you know, Mm. what you want, where that could over-prepare you for a little bit of a letdown. The being prepared for appraisal gaps and extra things that you're going to have to pay and all that stuff, that's where you're going to be, end up that you can go as deep as you want into all the things that could go wrong, you know, because then you're happy when they don't. Were there any surprises for you? I know you had a great team working with you, but was there any surprises? We can't tell you everything. I've tried 115 episodes or whatever, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> it, was there anything that kind of shocked you? Yeah, I would say, you know, showing up to open houses on the weekends and seeing like 60 people in a house was surprising. Even knowing how, you know, insane the market was at the time, I just didn't imagine that you would see it in person like that. Like you hear about it from podcasts and things like that, that you might listen to and from your realtor about how crazy it is, but actually seeing it in person definitely helped us wrap our minds around how competitive the market was. And then just hearing about some of the things other people were doing to get their offers accepted, like waiving inspections that, you know, we did not want to do that. And we did not do that. It's just, it's kind of wild what people were doing at least a couple months ago when the market was so white hot. But outside of that, you know, I think there honestly weren't too many other surprises. And I just, I think that's a testament to the group of people that were just helping us and were in our corner along the way. So, man, that's incredible to hear. That's good. I want people to get started and understand that a good group of people is going to be able to help you early. You might still need another year to save, but that good group is going to help you get started. And then you can supplement it with the podcast and reading and articles and and all the other things. But getting into it and having that team behind you, it's really nice to fall back on. I do not by any means think that being a realtor is important as a, you know, a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. But I do sometimes just kind of make the analogy because it makes sense. You know, trying to figure everything out on your own is like trying to represent yourself in court. Don't do it. Just hire a good lawyer, you know, (laughs) and... And that's what your unicorn team is in all the pieces, you know, from figuring out where your lender and figuring out your unicorn and then down the line, your insurance and your tax people and all that stuff's going to be important for you. Exactly. Um, 
hit on everything through the questions. I'm going to put you on the spot here, but if there's anyone out there listening going, oh my God, I can't believe it. You know, this guy pulled off a place in Denver in, you know, (laughs) nine months and, and avoided the rent trap. What are your biggest tips to people out there who are thinking about buying a home? Yeah, I think it's the preparation. I think thinking, like you said, even if you're not ready tomorrow or a month from now or six months from now, having people that you talk to in your corner to develop a plan for when you will be ready was really important. And to be honest, we didn't really put that team together until we were like really ready. But we had done enough research at least to know like, this is how much cash we want to have to put down. And this is how much we need to save on a monthly basis. And, you know, doing monthly budgeting, which I think just a lot of people that are younger don't do, and they don't pay attention to where their money's going. And just having your savings rate ready to where you can, you know, have the money to actually make it happen, especially in a market where interest rates are higher and monthly payments are a bit higher than they were a year or two ago. I think it's really important to make sure you understand like where your money is going on a monthly basis so that you know whether or not it's a reality for you. You know, with all this inflation talk, I've been listening to a lot of just kind of general financial talk stuff for my listeners, but also for me, you know, helping to just to make sure that I can ride the wave and know what I'm doing. And boy, Warren Buffett is has like such an old like man philosophy. And it's just like that wise person in the corner. And the budgeting is so important. And you're right. And I know the Gen Z's out there want to reach through their headphones and punch me in the face right now. But (laughs) Warren Buffett says, and never get this one right. It's something about you don't save your money after you spend, you spend your money after you save. Yeah. And it's that concept of, and you can't figure out how to pay yourself first. You can't figure out how much you should be putting away every month to save until you know the exact, all the line items of what you're spending. And yep. that's what we call the B word. That's a budget, <laughs> everybody. So, well, then the tips are budget, prepare, interview and find yourself a rad rock star team. And the biggest tip is avoid that 60 and 30% increase in rent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think That's amazing. Realistic, I so know. Six, six weeks in, how's the house? Are you unboxed? Yeah, we're unboxed. We're still, you know, hanging stuff on walls and doing some painting and some things like that, little projects here and there. But we got lucky that we didn't get a total fixer upper. So it was pretty much move in ready. And that was really helpful for us too, not having to worry about projects when we uh, are still adjusting to like a new area and, you know, figuring out what we're doing on the weekends, like hiking and snowboarding and not having to take all of that time just working and being stuck in our house that we're working on. So that part's been nice. It is great for everybody to think about out there because, you know, my dad's the luckiest guy in the world and got transferred out here to Orange County where you can surf or snowboard there. You know, one's 10 minutes away, one's an hour away. Uh, And there are places like Denver out there with, you know, killer hiking, killer social life, and obviously, you know, some of the best snow in the country. So wherever you are, keep your mind open. For some people, going to Denver is going to be a bit up. But for you guys and a lot of urban metro people out there, there's some hot cities out there, Denver and Austin and Portland and Seattle, places that are not quite San Francisco, New York, L.A. expensive just yet. Yeah. So Maybe another five years or so. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just depends. It truly just depends on how many hipsters and craft beer and funky donut shops (laughs) 
open up and then that raises the prices of everything. So exactly. <laughs> awesome. Jacob, you're the best man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thanks for sharing everything with everybody out there. Of course. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate all of your help. You got it, bud. All right. I got to tell you three and a half years of doing this podcast thing. And I really love doing this. The mission is to help educate and empower you guys, the people that need it the most. So this is just really incredibly rewarding for me. Stories like Jacob, they should encourage you. I know they get me pumped up, but they're for you because when you hear a story like that, you realize there is a light at the end of that dark and gloomy and disgusting rent tunnel. If you listen closely, you heard that together they worked very hard in their preparation and that helped them find their gold at the end of the rainbow. But it's like all things that people call lucky. Luck is when opportunity meets preparation. First, they knew their numbers. They wanted a monthly payment of about 25% of their take-home pay. Now, that's way below what lots of Americans and Canadians are paying for their rent these days. So good for them for picking such an ambitious goal. The good news was that even with the rent that had gone up, what was it, 60% in the last year and set to go up another 30%, well, now their monthly mortgage payment is less than their rent. Can I get an amen? So how on earth do you pull that off? You prepare. They did their research. They even reached out to the Dave Ramsey ELP team to talk to realtors. They checked out other avenues to talk to other different realtors out there. And they even checked out my crazy little podcast. They knew that this selection, figuring out who their team was going to be, that was as important, if not more important, than understanding all the other steps in the process. So they made that one a priority. Rather than trying to learn everything from A to Z, they figured out that getting the right guide to help guide them from A to Z would be the most important decision of the entire first-time home buying process. They interviewed a few, taking their time, knowing this was the way to avoid a rocky road, so they were really super careful about this process. And because of the info they got from my podcast, they spotted when they were pawned off to a newbie, one of those rookie agents, and they decided to maybe back off from that one and take their time and keep interviewing and planning until they got a real unicorn verification. Someone that had their best interest at heart, plus a lot of experience. And once they got that by working with the unicorn realtor, they got recommendations to a great local unicorn mortgage brokers. I was so glad to hear that, though I was not shocked that they soon discovered it was far better to use the power of a trusted local mortgage broker to shop their rates and loan programs for them instead of attempting to do it all on their own by calling different banks and lenders and searching different banks and lenders online. Okay, gang, this is my number one tip that I give to all Gen Z buyers. This is a big one, folks. You might want to save this and share it to your friends. I know, and I totally understand that you're used to shopping to get the best deal online, but I need to explain this to you. You have been duped and sold by the mortgage industry. They're spending billions on search engine optimization, SEO searches, and advertising and marketing to get to you. I've been doing this for 16 years and I tell my closest friends and family, do not use a lender online and don't even bother shopping for rates online. You're doing it wrong. That's not how I would do it. That's not how I let my closest friends and my family do it. And this is my gig. This is my jam. 
this is what I do. I'm not blaming anyone. I understand. I appreciate the idea of being able to go out there and get something better, get the best deal. But I fear that a lot of time the younger buyers are looking at this backwards. You think you're beating the system by looking online for the best rate, like buying a big screen TV on Amazon, but you're actually being suckered into their system, the system that they've created when you start looking at online lenders. Buyers think the big lenders are like the new online travel sites. You know, they ended up getting travel agents out of business, right? They decided to stick it to the overpriced travel agencies and give the people the real options by doing all the shopping for them online, scoping out all the deals and sending you directly to the source for your best discount. Nope. Actually, when it comes to online lending, it's the exact opposite. See, the big online lenders are actually the big greedy corporations that most of the younger buyers don't necessarily like to support. And they treat you like a number, give you lousy service with about 10 different people handling you from the first bait and switch phone call all the way till the end of the deal. And I have found, and so have a lot of my unicorn realtors, that they actually lose more deals than any other lenders that we work with because they spend their whole time, effort, and energy working on their brand and their advertising so they can capture you, so they can get you to call them, and then they bait you into a deal that lots of times goes sideways, and it might end up being more expensive and get you hidden fees and upcharges or not close at all. Knowing that most of you, once you get to the end, if you've got to pay extra fees, you're just going to stick it out because you're already in the deal and you just want to close on the home and you don't want to back out. So let's go back to the travel agency analogy. Because the people giving you the real mom and pop service, they're your local brokers. But the only difference is you don't have to pay those mom and pop prices. They can still get you the volume pricing. See, they shop for you. They find you the best rates, the best products from multiple different lenders. Then they do the work and they want you to be satisfied because they grow by word of mouth, not by spending billions of dollars on their online advertising and online search systems to capture you. A unicorn team rocks. So that's my tangent. All right, let's go back to Jacob and his partner. Once they had their numbers set, their unicorn experienced realtor put in an offer for them. And the cool thing was because they had a unicorn realtor, their realtor knew the seller's realtor. So that was a great thing for them. And then the combination between that knowledge of realtor to realtor plus the experience of the realtor knowing how to put the offer together, plus everything they learned from the podcast before they even wrote the offer made their offer stand out and made it a one and done situation. That's right. Only one offer in. Pretty amazing in this market. Jacob gave you some great tips for all you first time buyers out there. He said, don't spend too much prep time on Zillow and Redfin before you get your team in place. If you're going to be doing that all day, it's just daydreaming until you get a plan. A dream changes to a goal once you attach a plan to it. The team accelerated the process to getting a practical plan that worked for them in their specific situation. It was great to do some online searching on their own, but it can be dangerous and possibly get your hopes up. And of course, Jacob's biggest tip was preparation. He said preparation, having people to talk to in your corner six months to a year ahead of time. And I know he brought up the B word. All right. I know that might have freaked some of you out. Budgeting for a home can be as exciting as budgeting for a vacation. That's the way you got to think about it. And in these potentially scary economic times coming, the economy's getting a little freaky right now. If you're a pessimist or a skeptic, then you should be doing this anyway. 
Look, if it all goes to hell, then you have a rainy day fund ready for when things go bad. Think about it. If the financial apocalypse happens and you start saving today, great. Then you've got options to survive the mayhem. If everything falls apart and your future looks shaky, maybe your company struggles and maybe your job is going to be in jeopardy. Budgeting means that you have a nest egg set aside so you can have some safety money if you need to job hunt, you need to cover for a little while when you don't have a paycheck coming in. Or it gives you a nest egg. So if you just decide that you want to bail and get out of town on a vacation and forget your troubles, bam, you've got that. Or if you are lucky enough to remain stable while the economy gets a little rocky, then you've got a savings account set up. And now you can take advantage of things like the rich people do. If that shaky economy gets the housing market to start flattening or correcting because maybe the buyer pool's shrinking as others struggle, well, less competition means easier buying and better pricing for you. There is absolutely no downside to starting the B word. No downside to starting budgeting right now. Don't say I didn't tell you about it. And using that budget will help you prepare. In the worst case, you've got some coverage for the economic downturn. And, you know, who knows, if it does create an FML situation for you, at least you've got something to back you up. So that's the worst case. What about a medium case? Let's say you have the savings and you do lose everything. Well, what the hell? You can go on a luxury world vacation tour and pray that everything gets better when you get back. And in the best case, let's say that that economy craps. But hey, you got lucky. You get to keep your job. And now you've got a down payment saved up. So you don't have to deal with that 30 to 60 to 90% increase in your rent since your landlord maybe is going to be hurting during a recession and they need some money. So they're going to keep jacking up the rents. So prepare, prepare, prepare. And when you're ready, remember Unicorn Nation is real. Jacob is a real bright guy and I know he did plenty of research to find the right guide for them. They interviewed a ton of different realtors, including the people from Dave Ramsey's handpicked crew. And in the end, the underground revolution of Unicorn Nation was their best play, and they succeeded in a big way. Look, this isn't easy, but it's not rocket science either if you have the inside track. I'm not building a real estate empire with my unicorns to sit on some big pile of money and treat everybody like a number. We're trying to make sure everyone just does it right. This is simple. You have choices. You simply need to understand the game. Learn the insider secrets that will benefit you. Prepare you for the game. So what you do is you hire a unicorn coach and then you wait to pop the bubbly in the locker room when you win the game that was rigged against you. Yeah, you're like every underdog in every cheesy sports movie. You got this. You control the narrative with your preparation and your decision to have a unicorn on your side. You can and you will be able to beat a rigged economy, a rigged game, and a rigged real estate system. Because you deserve a fair shot at a comfortable life. You can do this.